One, two, three, four. that new theme song uh, it's something I recorded with my buddy George the drummer hope you like it hello and welcome to it starts with beer I'm your host Will Sis and on this episode I talk with Tony Karlowitz co-owner with his cousin Ed of Back East Brewing of Bloomfield Connecticut I remember vividly when they opened up in 2012 and It was a time in Connecticut when it was a big deal for a new brewery to open up. They've had four-hole beers back then, and uh, they were all great, but my favorite still to this day is the Back East Porter. I'm a porter stan, as the kids might say. This has been a terrible month so far, and while I feel so isolated from the murder of George Floyd and the subsequent protests. I, like so many of you, feel like I should try to make a small difference, so I urge you to go to aclu.org to learn more or support knowyourrightscamp.com. Now on to my discussion with Tony Karlowitz. It took place uh, on June 10th. Let's listen in. Tony, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. I know it's a busy time, but uh, I was wondering, you know, Back East's about eight years old now, which basically makes it part of the old guard in Connecticut. Uh, what do you think you've learned over that time that's kind of helping Back East weather this this period we're in right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it has been, uh, I think this will be, actually, I think this month is our... Uh, is our eight year anniversary. So yeah, when we started, I mean, you remember you were there, yes. um, you know, we could count the number of breweries on, on two hands. There's right. less than 10 of us. I think we were actually number seven, uh, definitely a different world back then. Uh, beer industry has evolved and changed and we've tried to do that, uh, as the industry changed. And, you know, we've been, uh, fortunate to be able to do that and kind of stay ahead of the curve and still, you know, keep our name going and our reputation going, uh, even though, uh, we're not the, the newest kids on the street. And, uh, I think, you know, having that, uh, having that, those, that experience certainly helped us out when, uh, you know, all of the, uh, stuff hit the fan, uh, with this virus and, you know, it's certainly been difficult for everybody ourselves included, but, uh, we've, we've, you know, been fortunate to be able to kind of weather the storm, um, you know, and hopefully coming out of it soon and, uh, looks like we'll, you know, be fairly well intact. When you were, um, just hearing about it and now in the last few months adjusting to it, what were some of the decisions that you think you've made that have been the most valuable? And did you hit any uh, hiccups along the way and make any mistakes that you had to correct? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I still remember that Saturday we were open and, you know, people were kind of sort of talking about it. But, you know, we did a big St. Patrick's Day thing on Saturday, March 14th. And... You know, like I said, there was just talk about it. And then, boy, suddenly that next day, uh, governor shut everything down. And, you know, we all came in that Monday. I texted everybody on the brewing team and, you know, said, come in on Monday. But 
don't plan on brewing because we don't want to put beer in the tanks when we don't know if, you know, we'll be able to be here in a week or, or two and, you know, be able to, you know, package that beer and or, and even sell it. Uh, so it was a little scary that first week. Um, you know, by the end of the, uh, by the end of that first week though, uh, I think on, uh, Thursday night we made the, uh, we heard enough positive news that we were essential and, you know, we made the decision to brew, uh, you know, a triple batch of beer on that Friday. So we did not go a full week without brewing, which was, you know, certainly great. And, uh, yeah, we had to make a bunch of adjustments to our model, but, um, you know, fortunately they kind of all worked out, um. Well, you were already positioned in a couple of ways in the sense that you were out there at in restaurants and bars, but you were also heavily canning. Did you shift your, I guess you had to shift your model to, to canning only, or do you still have bottles? I don't remember. Uh, no, we don't have bottles. Um, but yeah, I mean, starting that week, uh, any beer we were packaging, so, you know, the beer that was ready that week, um, you know, we started packaging it all in, in cans and, uh, it came at a somewhat of a tricky time for us because we, uh, were just, uh, about to start, you know, we actually had 16 ounce cans in stock, but we weren't quite ready to start canning, uh, in the 16 ounce size. Uh, when we started canning in 2013, um, way back then we were the second brewery in Connecticut to can New England, uh, brewing company was the only other brewery that was actually canning. And of course, in 2013, at the time, it was, you know, 12 ounce cans were kind of the, the, the standard. And, uh, that's what we went with. And since then, we've had people asking, are we going to go into 16 ounce cans? Are we going to go into 16 ounce cans? And probably got that question, you know, a thousand times before I finally said, you know, it's time to go into, uh, into the larger format can. So, well, that's um, the, that's the wrong answer. And you didn't ask me. I'm a big I, fan of 12 ounce. I don't, you know. Well, I'm a weirdo on that on that end. Well, I I I've had so many arguments for sticking with twelve ounce cans, but I did get overruled. And I would tell you, your favorite beer, I believe, is our porter. Yeah, of course. And, and that is still going to be in twelve ounce cans. Oh, thank goodness. Thank yeah. You. I mean, you know, it, it, and and maybe it's just my drinking style. So I mean, it's only four ounces, you know. But I like the fact that I get six. I think that's that's the thing, you know. Exactly. If, if there were six packs of sixteen ounces, I'd adjust. But that that isn't <laughs> that isn't around. Um, now you it know it does make a difference, though. I mean, when you're having three of them, you know, that's a lot of beer. That's forty-eight ounces. That's you know a lot is. more than thirty-six ounces. It is. Um, I uh, I I well, you know what? That that's quite all right. Uh, we will let that you know pass. You have certainly. Uh, diversified your portfolio since way back when. I know the porter must have been part of that original, along with uh, Misty Mountain. I'm thinking, um, and, yep. and uh, I think maybe just Back two others. Right. Yep. And now you are swinging uh, for the fences in the New England IPA department, uh, double IPA department. Uh, what? When did you really know that that was going to catch on? Because again, I think you were a little ahead of the curve on that. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I, I, you know, our the first one was, I think we brewed it in 2015. It was Rakoutra, uh, which actually gets its name as a combination of Rakau and Citra hops. Um, Citra is the primary, or actually is the only hop in Ice Cream Man, uh, which is our most popular beer. But our first kind of that type of style beer was uh, Rakoutra, and it's made actually quite a bit of 
uh, of a resurgence. When we went into 16 ounce cans, we, you know, we went in with um, eight of our IPAs, um, you know, uh, Rakoutra Ice Cream Man, Susie Greenberg, which is a mango IPA, Infinite Universe IPA, uh, Double Scoop, uh, Tony Goes Dancing, Unicorn Farm, and Big Day Off. I can't believe I remembered all eight you of those. You just rattled those... them off like it's uh, no, like, <laughs> like it was nothing. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. Um, those are the only ones in 16-ounce cans now. But, uh, you know, and, and, and Rakoutra has a new label. Uh, Tony Goes Dancing has a new label. Unicorn has a new label. So uh, I think Rakoutra is starting to get quite a bit more attention. And that's actually, as of now, that's our second, um, you know, quickest seller, our second um, bestseller. And uh, it's good because it's a great beer. And that was our first one. That was probably one of the earlier ones in Connecticut. I mean, you know, a lot of people at the time were talking about Treehouse and they were starting to do a lot of that style uh, IPAs. And, uh, you know, we experimented, uh, you know, with a lot of different stuff, trying to, you know, to get it to where we wanted it to be. And uh, yeah, Recoucher was the first. And then, you know, Ice Cream Man, you know, probably within a year uh, after that, I think we introduced that in October of 2016, and uh, that one kind of became a monster for us, and you know is uh, is far and away um, our, our best seller. And we brew it every week, and we ship that out to stores, and and we sell them here at the brewery, and and yeah, it's uh, you know that that's kind of what's been keeping us going and growing, and um, you know keeping our you know name recognition. We've gotten some awards for those, and some you know national recognition and, and things like that in magazines and. And uh, and whatnot, but good. Um, it's a, I mean, it's a crowded field. Everybody's making New England IPAs, double IPAs, triple, whatever you want to call them. Um, and so it is hard to to stand out. But I think word of mouth uh, really makes a big difference uh, when when people are you know really saying good things about a beer. It it goes a long way, and you don't have to do all that. Uh, advertising anymore, thanks to social media. If, if there's going to be a lot True. of Instagram posts about Unicorn, then that's what people are going to dive onto. Well, the other thing I'm thinking that that helps you out is that you were never, uh, well, it, you were never solely really hanging on to the tap room model. You kind of added the tap room later, and now that you can't have it, or um, I'm trying to think, are you maybe you are doing some outdoor seating? Uh, it's not going to make a huge dent. Is that is that uh, close to being correct? Yeah, you know, I mean, when we opened in 2012, um, it was before you know it was this this old style of Connecticut uh, brewers permits where you were you were able to do um, samples, but you couldn't charge for a pint. So you could give away free samples, you could do tours, uh, you could fill growlers, but you know that was pretty much it. And uh, you know. Two roads opened up after us, and you know, and they kind of uh, you know helped the state to get on board with you know updating their their laws, and you know breweries you know starting then can can then sell pints and actually be you know kind of destinations and and function as bars um, you know as well as just production facilities, and you know certainly when that happened, uh, we we didn't sign up for that new permit for probably about a year, uh, probably about a couple of years. Um, but you know, our tap room business has grown every year we've been open. Um, but we've been fortunate when, when all this virus stuff, um, you know, when the virus stuff hit that, you know, we, we had, um, really good distribution throughout Connecticut and Western mass. Um, you know, we fought the urge to, you know, expand beyond 
Connecticut and Western Massachusetts because, you know, we wanted to go really deep in those states and be well known here. Uh, any brewery can send, you know, beer to, you know, 30 different states. But if you're sending, you know, a, a pallet of beer a month to a state, you're really not doing much to help grow your brand. You're you're kind of just trying to brew as much as you can and and not really having a lot of demand for it, really just, you know, shipping it out to anyone who will take it. So well, it's just to say that you can. Exactly. Yeah. And, and like I said, that's not really a good way to grow a brand. I mean, in the short term, it helps you get beer to different places. But if our beer ends up in Kansas, nobody in Kansas knows this. It's not doing any good. Can they sell 100 pallets of uh, or 100 cases of, of beer every month? Sure. Kansas is a big state. But, you know, again, it's most likely going on a shelf and probably sitting there and, and getting old and, and not really helping our, our brand recognition. Well, maybe so. if this was 2012 again, you might have had a shot because there wouldn't be as much competition. But That's I'm true. sure Kansas right. has tiny towns that have wonderful breweries. You know, they want exactly. to support local. Yep, and that's the same thing we do here, support local. And, and you know, that's that's a great point because, you know, people really want to buy something that's local. Sure, it's great to find something from far away. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to find Russian River and, you know, package store near me. But, you know, they're kind of in the same, you know, situation, uh, you know, where there's a lot of demand in their local area, and that's where they're selling all of the, all their beer. So um, we're, we're fortunate to be in that position where we have – good distribution, draft, and cans. Uh, and also we had a, you know, a pretty healthy tap room. And, you know, if I think a lot of the breweries that didn't have all three of those, uh, you know, really is somewhat concerning because we lost the tap room. We lost all our draft business. Um, you know, if we didn't have great distributors in Connecticut, uh, we have Hartford distributors and G&G distributors in Wallingford. You know, if we didn't have them uh, to get our beer out to the, you know, hundreds of stores, around Connecticut, then, you know, we'd be in a lot rougher shape. And I think that's unfortunately where a lot of uh, the smaller breweries are that relied on that taproom model. It'll come back, of course, it's starting to come back, um, but, you know, it's going to be slow. Yeah, you were recently profiled uh, by uh, by Forbes, uh, at least their website, which is nice. And you had mentioned that you thought a lot of the breweries would just not make it. And oddly, in Connecticut, only one that I know of has chosen to close its doors permanently. What makes you think, though, that uh, that other breweries uh, aren't going to make it? What What do you see on the horizon? Uh, you know, I mean, I think I think the in- industry's been saturated for a while. Um, you know, and and uh, you know, I get it. It's it's I, I, I absolutely understand having the dream to open up a brewery. Um, you know, because, uh, you know, I had that dream and I'm fortunate to, you know, to be living it. And I, and I absolutely enjoy it. You know, it's, it's hard work. Uh, there's always that perception that oh, you just sit around drinking beer all day, um, which, you know, isn't, isn't necessarily always the case. Um, I suppose it, it should be some of the, some of the time, but, uh, not all the time, but I, I think there was a lot of saturation in the market. Uh, and I think, you know, craft beer, uh, you know, is, has a lot of uh, challengers in the market. Uh, you know, c- ciders have, have been big for a while and, and seltzers now. Um, you know, I mean, that, they're, they're growing leaps and bounds. And a few years ago, it was the hard sodas. And, you know, some of them are, you know, trendy things that are going to grow and, you know, pop and kind of settle down to a normal level. Um, you mean you, but... didn't, you didn't just run out and get a case of not your father's root beer? No, I didn't. I had one, and I couldn't have another because it was just 
too sweet. Yeah, um, it definitely was on that cola yeah. side of things. Yeah, I, I, it is going to be interesting who shakes, uh, how it shakes out for certain breweries because if they were just relying on the taproom model, I don't know how many loans you need to get to stay afloat and whether that's a good idea. So, yeah, that'll right. be. And I think that's why a lot are probably still open now. But you know what? What? What's the new world going to look like? Who knows? It's you know, and it's scary for us too. I mean, we just put, um, you know, uh, putting on a new at the end of our building. We're not moving, uh, but we are building new tap room in our building uh, on the opposite end, and we're uh, it's kind of just finished up, and we're actually hoping to open up uh, in mid June. And you know, that's uh, yeah, it's a little scary because you know we were planning on having you know about with the patio probably, you know, close to 300, you know, person capacity. And, you know, with the new rules, we don't necessarily know, um, you know, what that's going to uh, look like. Hopefully things will get back to normal, if, you know, and, instead of getting worse. But well, it's a little scary. A lot of pent-up demand. Oh, there certainly is. People want to get out, especially with, you know, the nicer weather. No one wants to, you know, sit inside. I, I, I'm sick of it. And uh, I think people want to get back to being the social beings that we are. All right. That sound means that it's time for the lightning round. You have uh, right. five seconds to start answering each one of these questions. Are you ready for this challenge? How long do I have to answer them? Oh, you can. Or take, how long can you, my... you you can take all all evening to answer each one. No. Okay. No. Let, let let's keep it to you know. Uh, these are not going to be uh, deep uh, thinking questions. These are going to be, you know, questions I'd like you to give only about five seconds of thought to. That way you don't sure. overthink. Ready. What was your favorite toy growing up? Oh, Transformers. If you could have a beer with anyone who has already died, who would it be? I guess, the, you know, my, my first... Uh, thought was michael jackson the beer writer um um yeah i'll I'll go with that Uh, you know there's a there's a lot of uh where there's a lot of people um why michael jackson i think he'd be the most most interesting you know i've seen a lot of you know the the videos and uh um he was you know obviously hold him in high regard yeah, a British uh, traveler who, who really liked to talk about about beer from around the world and really analyze it. Yeah, that's a good choice. That's a good choice. What about the other Michael Jackson? Yeah, I don't see why not. Maybe both Michael <laughs> Jacksons. All right. That, that, right. That, that's In the, the same room. <laughs> that's the answer we're going to put on record. All right. Uh, <laughs> next question. What do you do to relax? Be outside. Was that five seconds? That was, <laughs> be outside. That was 4.8 seconds. Okay, great. Um, be outside. You know, spend time with my family. Um, yard work, probably not as much as my wife wants me to do, but... Uh, <laughs> That's relaxing you know, to you? Yeah. Good. Well, just, just being outside, camping. Excellent. Hiking. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Best piece of advice I've gotten um, was actually on a fortune cookie. Really? And it was, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I still have it. Um, the real secret to success is enthusiasm. 
I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And and you've been able to apply that? Yes, yeah. What was the best subject for you in school? Geography. All right. What beer style do you personally avoid? Old ales. Really? Doesn't yeah, do you know, I had, a, I had a few and it just, yeah, I had a few and it just didn't do it for me. I know they're they're pretty, you know, obscure, but. Sure. Yeah. Well, I could, I'll have to do a whole episode on that. Uh, <laughs> and um, if you were to draw a favorite memory from childhood, what would be in it? Uh, the, the camper that my, uh, I used to go camping with my parents in. Okay, I'm going to tally up all those scores. You get a 100. Nice job. Nice. <laughs> now, you had mentioned you've got a Brewers Guild meeting uh, coming up. What's uh, what's on top? What, what's the scuttlebutt among among the um, uh, brewers uh, at large? What are the biggest concerns? Uh, it's mostly the, the COVID-19 stuff, um, you know, making sure that, you know, we're, we're kind of represented. Uh, we kind of get grouped in with restaurants. Um, so, you know, some of the regulations, which are, are new for breweries is, you know, ha- has to deal with, you know, food being served at breweries, uh, which is again, not something that breweries have had to do before. Um, and just, uh, making sure, you know, we're, we're kind of recognized kind of separate from restaurants. Um, you know, we have a guild, uh, I'm on the board and, uh, Phil is the executive director. So it's pretty exciting. Cause I was one of the uh, back East was one of the original kind of, you know, founders of the Connecticut Brewers Guild back in 2013. And we've come the guild, which represents, you know, all the Connecticut breweries has come a long way in the last um, seven years. But we now actually have a two, uh, one, 1.5 full time, uh, you know, uh, paid people. And uh, Phil is the executive director. And, you know, so he's kind of our, our voice in, in Hartford as far as, you know, making sure that, you know, where the best interest of breweries is, you know, being uh, represented there. Yeah, Phil's a friend of the podcast. I was able to uh, interview him a few weeks back, and I, nice. I I like the fact that you know he's he's brought uh, an element of professionalism. I think to it, not that you guys weren't being professional. I don't mean that way, but I mean in the sense that it's kind of like um, there's more of a unifying vision, and it's somebody exactly. who can spend more time on it he's not uh worrying about grain bills and such exactly and that was the problem you know early on um you know early on it was we're all trying to run businesses and you know we're also trying to run a guild and you know there was you know everybody has kind of different interests that's inherently always built into it um you know depending on what your model is we have teeny brewers and then we have two roads um and you know pretty much everything in between including restaurants um and brew pubs but uh yeah, it is good to have that because, you know, in those early years, we were pretty, you know, we had a lot of interest from the public, a lot of support from, you know, legislatures, legislators, but um, we weren't, weren't that organized, not like we are now. So. One, of, one of the elements that has certainly uh, come up over the last couple of weeks and, and in other circles has been going on for years is a talk about diversity uh, within many different uh, businesses, uh, business models. Um, you know, Connecticut's um, ownership certainly uh, seems to be pretty uh, homogeneous. 
you, is there is there a way to uh, try to broaden the draw, broaden the uh, platform at all that, that you can see that to to make Connecticut beer uh, more diverse in terms of ownership and as well as um, as well as patrons. Yeah, and I, I think that's something that you know everybody wants. I think that's something you know all the Connecticut breweries want is you know I mean it it only makes sense to have um, you know just a broader range of customers and employees and. Uh, you know, you're right. It isn't. It is not very uh, a very diverse, uh, you know, industry. I'd say, you know, kind of across the country and in Connecticut. But you know, I mean, certainly making sure that uh, everybody knows beer is uh, a social thing, and it is about. It's it's kind of. I guess it always brought Democrats and Republicans together. So, um, you know, if it can if it can do that, it can kind of bring anybody together. But you know, we obviously want to see. Uh, you know. M- more diversity uh in our ranks and more diversity in our employees and and you know and we kind of you know see more and more people getting into craft beer um you know realizing it that is uh you know kind of a welcoming community um no matter who you are my thanks to tony you can follow back east brewing on twitter and instagram you can follow me too i'm at beer snob rights you can email me at beer.snob at yahoo.com Looks like I might get my Republican-American newspaper column up in Waterbury, Connecticut. So look for that for more writing. And if you'd like to leave a Venmo tip, I'm at William-Sis. Until next time, sip well. (laughs) 